take our Bibles this morning, turn to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel chapter 28 this morning. <coughs> we're telling us, we're talking about a story this morning that Probably if the stories that you know about the Bible are the ones that you heard about as a kid in Sunday school, and you never got much further than that with it, then you might not have heard of this story before. But anybody who knows their Bible really well has probably heard the story before, but it's a very interesting story. In 1 Samuel 28, we're going to start reading in verse 1. Yeah, 1 Samuel 28. It says, it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. And Achish said unto David, Knowest thou surely that thou shalt go with me to battle, thou and thy men. This is at a time when David had been exiled from Israel. He's living in the outskirts of the Philistine lands at the approval of the king of the Philistines. So the king of the Philistines comes to him and says, we're invading your hometown and we want you with us to make sure that you're not going to sneak up behind us in the middle of the battle. Which is what just happened. That's what we just read. David said to Achish, sure, uh, surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore will I make thee keeper of mine head forever. Now Samuel was dead. And all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even his own city. That was the city where the, the prophet's school was. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and wizards out of the land. And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. They're marching toward Israel. And Saul gathered all Israel together, and they pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams nor by Urim, which is scripture, nor by prophets, then Saul said unto his servants of verse 7, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said unto him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. So this morning, the title of our sermon is King Saul and the Witch of Endor. It's a good story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you once more this morning asking your blessing upon the message this morning. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come down upon it. I pray that you would increase, that I would decrease, and your perfect will be done. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you, and we ask you these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we see firstly this morning is looking for blessings instead of looking for God. And that's what we see from Saul here this morning. He's looking for blessings, but he's not actually looking for God, is he? We just read through it. He's looking for an advantage against the Philistines now that David was among their ranks. He had kicked David out, 
told him to leave, tried to murder him many, many times, repented, said, I'm sorry, said, I'll never do it again, and then did it again on more than one occasion. He chased David out, gave David no choice. It was either die or live in the Philistine lands. It was the last thing David wanted. He never wanted this. He always, ever, only wanted to be a friend and loyal servant to King Saul. And King Saul only saw enemies where only friends existed. Be cautious of this. We would seek to be the kind of person that's wise and that can see the trouble coming up ahead of times and can hedge our bets before it gets there. But that never works. We're not prophets. We cannot dame the future. And the only thing we'll wind up doing is becoming bitter, angry people who see enemies where friends exist. That's what happened to Saul. He hardened his heart toward the world. He hardened his heart toward the Lord. And he's looking not for God, but for an advantage against the Philistines now that David was among their ranks. Saul created an enemy out of David now that God, uh, and now wants God to fix it for him without actually repenting of the jealousy he felt against David. Because that's what happened. He got jealous of David. They were singing songs in the street, which are probably not appropriate to sing about your king, and I'll give him that. <coughs> probably not the most respectful thing they could have been singing about King Saul. But they were singing songs about Saul had slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. David didn't come up with those words. David didn't ask for any of that, and the only reason David had slain those ten thousands was because Saul sent him to those battles in the first place. David did nothing wrong, and yet when David returned, it was Saul who threw that spear at him, trying to shish kebab him to the wall. David avoided out of the way of the spear and returned. You think your work situation's rough. <laughs> David was having spears chucked at his head by his own king. I mean, that was a cat that was a part of the job description, right? You're gonna have some spears thrown at your head. They weren't supposed to come from the king. He's playing his harp. Look, look, King Saul, man, isn't it such pretty music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold real still, okay? <laughs> He chased David out. He was jealous of David. He hated David only because he thought David was better than him. He thought he was less of a man than David. He was angry and bitter toward David, even though David had done nothing wrong. And he refused to repent of that anger and that jealousy, but he still wanted God to fix his problems for him. You know, if we're not careful, we can have sort of the same attitude toward God. We'll come to God with our problems and we'll say, Lord, fix it for me. And God's priority is the sin we've yet to repent of. He says, hang on, hang on. Before we get to that, we've got a bigger issue here. You need to address this. We need to talk about this. this let's address the elephant in the room. And God says, you need to repent of these things and you need to get right before I can help you. Did you know your sin serves as a wedge between you and the Lord? You know, God wants to bless you. He wants to help you this morning. He wants to do these things. 
Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give good gifts to them that ask? He wants to give us good things. Nobody's a better Christmas gift giver than, G than, uh, than the Heavenly Father. He gave the world Jesus. It's the best Christmas gift in the world. Nobody knows how to be good, as good as the Heavenly Father does. But what serves as a block between us and God is our sin. We've got to address it first, and Saul didn't want to do that. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, Paul is talking about a certain kind of person in Romans chapter 1. He's talking about a the kind of person that worships animals and statues of animals and so forth, and worships the beast and the, the creature more than the creator. And he's talking about this kind of person that either has always done that, or a kind of person that once knew better, and then started doing these things that they know they shouldn't be doing. And that is a certain kind of person. It's a kind of person that says, I know I should, but I'm not going to. And he says in Romans 1, and in verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, think about that phrase, did not like to retain God in their knowledge, and truth be told, that hits a little closer to home for some of us than we'd like to admit. It's not as though you like to reject God from your life. You would never openly say that or even think that. But there are moments in your life you don't want to think about God. There are moments in your life where you don't want to have to consider your Christian faith. You're out hanging out with your friends. Maybe you're using words you know you shouldn't be using. Maybe you're in a place you know you shouldn't be. Maybe you're doing things you know you shouldn't be doing. And in those moments, we don't like to retain God in our knowledge. In those moments where we're enjoying ourselves and we don't really want to have to think about what the right thing to do is, we don't like to retain God in our knowledge. And there are consequences to such decisions. The Bible says, continuing on, that God gave them over to a reprobate mind. You know what God's going to do? When you decide you don't want to retain God in your mind, he's going to give you what you want. You know, there is no greater punishment for you than to be given over to a reprobate mind. God says, you don't want to think about me? That's fine. You never have to think about me again. But what you fail to realize when you're out drinking with your buddies and you're having a good time, when you're out there hanging out with your friends and you're cussing up a sailor because they are too, when you're out there at the bar, hanging out in that scene, people are hooking up and people are drinking and people are smoking and you know you shouldn't be there. We don't like to retain God in those moments. And you know, when we're, when we're in those moments and we're having a good time, what we fail to realize is we don't want to think about God. But if we were always in that state of mind, we'd lose more than we'd gain. There's a whole lot of peace. There's a whole lot of hope. There's a whole lot of joy. There's a whole lot of power. There's a whole lot of great stuff that comes from just thinking about God. Let alone all the answers to prayer and the blessings and the things he actually puts his hand to in our life. Just putting thought to God gives us so much. And the greatest punishment God can give to somebody who does not like to retain God in their knowledge is give them over to a reprobate mind. So what he says he does, Romans 1.28, he 
He says he gives them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. They seem convenient, don't they? It seems easier to sleep in on a Sunday morning. It just seems easier to stay in your PJs and not go to church. Amanda will joke around sometimes about, can I come to church in my PJs? And she's joking, of course, because my answer in all sincerity is, I've never told you what to wear to church. And she still comes dressed up. It would be more convenient to stay home, to stay in your PJs, watch it online for a few minutes before you got bored and started surfing TikTok, because we know what you're really doing. Come on. Maybe you've got more integrity than I do, but some of these sermons I listen to after a few minutes, and I'm like, all right, well, let's see what TikTok's got going on. You know, there's just, and I don't mean that mean, but there's only a handful of preachers that I can listen to for 45 minutes. Brother Stewart's one of them. You know, I've sat under some of them. I tell you, some of my favorite, uh, Johnny Pope, is a preacher, uh, independent Baptist preacher out of Houston. He's a great preacher. Uh, one of the pastors I worked for, uh, Pastor Castro, is another one of them. Great preacher. Love listening to him preach. You know, there's only a handful of preachers I can listen to preach for 45 minutes. The rest of these guys, they get about 15, 20 minutes in. They say something. Uh, you know, it just really rubs me the wrong way. And I'm like, all right, well, let's see. Come on. Let alone somebody who's not much, got much of a spiritual appetite. And it does seem more convenient, doesn't it? It's easier because you do have that option. I'll stream it from home because if I stream it from home, if I don't like what I hear, I can just turn it off. It takes a certain level of commitment to get up, get ready and go to church. It takes a certain level of commitment to get up in the mornings, to make yourself have that time of, of prayer and of Bible. And can I tell you something? Get a little distracted for a few minutes. You should always be into what you're reading. You should always be paying attention to the words that you're reading in your morning devotion. That should always be the case, but it's not going to be. There are going to be mornings you are going through the motions. And can I tell you, don't, it, when you realize you're doing that, don't just stop reading. Don't just say, well, I'm just going through the motions. I really don't even need to mess with it this morning. My heart's not even in it. Go ahead and do it anyways. Finish reading it, even if your mind is somewhere else. Even if you just heard one of the kids hacking a cough in the other room, you're reading Psalm 23, and you're saying, Lord, please don't, please don't throw up. Please don't throw up. Please don't throw up. <laughs> I tell you, life experience there. I've been there. You know, you're trying to have your prayer time and you hear, you know, bang, bang, clack up. Oh, no. And you're like, I'm going to stay here and pray. I make sure I didn't hear a glass shattering. I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm good for a little bit. You're going to have those moments where your full attention isn't in what you're doing. Maybe you had a rough day the day before and maybe you're defeated, you're discouraged, you're depressed. And you don't want to. I don't want to. And there's going to be mornings where people, we're humans. I don't want to get up. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. Do it anyways. You get up there, you go into your prayer spot, and you do it anyways. And you pray and you read that Bible. Maybe you don't have time to sit and open up a physical Bible. And on your way to work, you turn on an audio Bible. I know three, four apps that will read the Bible for you. I can tell you Audible has some really good uh, audio Bibles for the King James, especially that people will read it to you. And there's some great narrators on there uh, on Audible as well. There's a lot of different ways you can get your Bible. Don't just not get it. Get up and get it anyways. And it seems inconvenient. 
And it does seem inconvenient, except for when you let yourself go without for a while. That's the real inconvenience, is to go without the spiritual boost of that morning devotion, that morning time in prayer. You know, they used to have these things when we were in Bible college, they'd give us these, they're called Christian life journals. And it was basically a notebook journal for, for sermon taking. And it's specifically set up, it said like sermon title, speaker's name, date, scripture reference, the whole thing. And had like a, a whole space full of notes. Well, in the very beginning of it, it had some appendixes, some things you can read <coughs> or kind of interesting. It had like checklists for what you've read for the day, scriptures that you've memorized. But there was this little few pages of something that this man wrote about make myself happy in the Lord. And the point of what it was, was he said that before he does anything else, the first thing he did every single morning when he got up for the day was he made himself happy in the Lord. That was the first thing he did. If he walked out of his door, he made sure he walked out of his door being encouraged or inspired in some way by the word of God. He made himself happy in the Lord in some way before he walked out his door. And that was so inspiring to me. And you strive for that. You don't always succeed in these things, but you strive for that. And I think the point is you continue to strive for it. And it seems inconvenient, but the real inconvenience is to not do it. That'll make your day harder than anything else. So to do those things which are not convenient. The Lord makes our life more convenient. The devil tries to convince us otherwise. He says, being filled with all unrighteousness. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication. You know, nowadays that's become a normal thing. You date somebody, you commit fornication. You shack up, living together in the same house. Should not be so for a Christian. The world lives the way the world lives. I'm not going to be shocked or appalled or surprised when the world doesn't live according to Christian standards. But I will be shocked and appalled and surprised when a Christian who knows better engages in this as though it's normal. The Bible says that we should flee fornication. Better is a pure marriage. And better is a thing where I can say that there's only, I have only ever known one woman in my whole life. And it's my wife. And that is the goal. Now, we all have a past. Before you were saved, you did things. And that's under the blood. And the Lord has forgiven us for those things. And we shouldn't continue to let the devil beat us up about it. But, if you're a Christian currently living in those standards, it's an opportunity to repent. Let's get it right. Let's live right. Let's live righteously. Let's flee fornication, wickedness, covetousness. Covetousness is so bad in our country right now. You know, and, and living in America means you're living in one of the most prosperous countries in the world. That's great. That's fantastic. I was watching a comedian the other day that talked about more people in America die from uh, obesity than they do from hunger. And he was like, that's, that's great. That's fantastic. We did it. You know, all of the countries over there, they're talking about needing help from their people starving to death in the streets all the time. 
and we've got people dying from eating as opposed to starving to death. And that's, that's what they all are striving for to do. You know, America is truly a blessed nation. Do we have our problems? Of course we do. But we are more blessed than a lot of other places. But one of the things that comes from that is this thing of covetousness. You see, the world will make it, and especially some of these companies and their marketing schemes, they make it seem like you've got to keep up with the Joneses. You've heard that before. You've got to make sure if somebody's got the smartwatch, you need to have the smartwatch, right? If somebody's got the, uh, the Galaxy S26 Ultra 5G, you've got to have the Galaxy S27 Ultra 6G, which isn't a thing yet, I know. Don't come at me, comments. And it's the thing of covetousness. Your neighbor drives up in a brand new Ferrari, and boy, those, those jealousy pangs will hit you, won't they? You know, a guy pulls up in a brand new, you know, Ford F-150, all shiny and nice and new. And those envy, boy, that, that'll really hit you, you know. Man, I wish I could have one of those, right? You know, somebody talking about the, and this is especially for younger couples, you know, you'll hear somebody, there's that pencil sharpener, there's somebody, a new couple, doing a little bit better off than you are, and talk about how they just bought their new house. And they're like five or six younger years younger than us. And boy, those jealousy pangs hit. You know? And you say, man, what am I doing wrong? What, what, am I lazy? Should I get out there and, and do, do more? I'm already working three jobs, but maybe I should be working different jobs. Maybe I should do something else. And those jealousy pangs hit you, not because you feel like you're not doing enough, not because you don't feel like you're a hard worker, but because they have something you don't have. Got to be careful of that little demon of covetousness. Because yes, the Bible tells us, by the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return to the dust of the earth. And yes, we should work hard at whatever it is we're doing, but not so we can have more. That's not the point. Don't ever forget Jesus was a homeless man. He had no home. Watch out for that thing of covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder. Boy, this thing of murder has become bigger in recent years than it's ever been. Used to, you'd turn on the news and there'd be a, maybe a story in the evening news about something that happened in Oak Cliff or some tragedy that happened way over here in this, this other part of the, the state or something. But anymore, it's like every other news story is about somebody who was killed in their home or, or got gunned down or, or got ran over. And, you know, just all of these horrific things. And evil has become more rampant, it seems, than ever before. But that just means that we as Christians have to try twice as hard to put the goodness of God back into the world. We have to become twice as generous, twice as hopeful, twice as encouraging. Debate, and debate can be a, a useful thing if it's done properly, but unfortunately it's just a lot of hurt feelings out there. It's a lot of people trying to make other people feel bad. Deceit, malignity, whisperers. Whisperers, nobody ever whispers because they're trying to accomplish something good. Nobody ever whispered because they were being helpful. Whisperers keeping things. They're keeping secrets. They're spreading rumors. They're causing trouble. Whisperers. 
Saul was looking for an advantage against the Philistines by looking for God to give him something. But what he wasn't doing was looking for God. He wasn't looking for God. He was looking for a winning strategy against his enemies. Saul had no interest in knowing God himself. He was just interested in what God could do for him. What are we interested in this morning? Are we interested in God himself? Are you interested in the Lord? Or are we only interested in what the Lord can do for us? Are we interested in coming to church because we need God's help? Are we interested in serving God, obeying God, because we've hit a bad patch in life and we need his help right now? And I've seen it a thousand times. People start coming to church because something bad happened. They need help. They get that help and then they stop going to church again. I've seen it happen all over the place here. I don't think I've ever seen any of these people with that sort of an attitude, praise the Lord. But I've seen it in other places many, many times. What is our interest in the Lord? And he's looking for comfort from his fears. After all these years, Saul's bloodthirsty wrath, and after all the people he's murdered over the years, he finally feels the fear that he created in so many others. You might remember some of these stories where Saul goes to the temple that David had snuck away to, and they gave him some, some of the holy bread they had there <coughs> because he was starving and he needed food. <coughs> so those priests, not knowing he's an enemy of the, the, of the state, not that it would have made much difference to them anyways, gives them that holy bread. Saul goes to those, those priests and says, did you just help my enemy? He says, I didn't know it was your enemy. I thought he was your son-in-law, but yes, we helped David. So he commands his soldiers to murder the entire city of priests. The, the soldiers refuse. They say, no, we're not going to do that. So he turns to this crooked little beady-eyed rat-faced little guy. And he says, well, you're the one that told me about it. You go murder him. And he does. And Saul continues to inflict this kind of fear on his people for years and years and years, chasing a good man like David for no reason. And now Saul needs help. Now the Philistines are gathering together. They're bringing a mighty army against Saul. And now it's Saul who has the fear. And now he wants God to help him. But he wants God to help him without repenting of the horrific and horrendous evil that he has done to these others. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake have forgiven you. But pastor, you don't know what he did. I don't care what he did. He didn't do anything so bad as what you did to Jesus. You say, what did I do to Jesus? Go back and look at that cross right there. That's what you did to Jesus. You say, that was, was 2,000 years ago. I didn't do that to Jesus. When you sinned, you put him on that cross. He had to go to that cross because of your sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We put him on that cross. Nothing anybody else did to you compares to what we did to Jesus. 
And if he can forgive us, we can forgive them. He was looking for God's man instead of looking for God uh, very quickly because I'm out of time. Um, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. You want to hear about the Witch of Endor? Come back next week. <laughs>